verses 1 through 8, I'm going to talk to you about the day God changed his mind. When God changed his mind. When God changed his mind. Isaiah 38, and I guess we don't have it up there this time, so I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah 38, 1 through 8. It says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you will die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. And said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And then it says, Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. Everybody say, praise God. Now God told him you're going to die. And then he prayed and got 15 years out of it. Now let's finish. He says, I'm going to deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, there it is. Behold, I will cause the sun's shadow to move 10 steps backward on the sundial of Ahaz. Say with me, say what? And we're talking about time reversal here. So the shadow on the sundial moved backward, 10 steps. Father, thank you for your word today, and we pray that you will move us towards prayer in a way that we've not known, that God, you will inspire us and motivate us to dare to believe for the impossible. Lord, inspire our faith. Lord, Call us to the prayer closet. And I believe, Lord, that because we pray, many of the mountains that we face today will come down. And God is going to make a level road instead of obstacles and provide rivers in the desert. And I believe you, Lord God, to do the impossible, the improbable, and the unlikely. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God changed his mind. Now I want to ask you a question today. Can God change his mind? Can God Almighty change his mind? The Bible says that he can. Now let me just give you a little backdrop here for what we just read. Hezekiah, King Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah had seen incredible answers to prayer, especially when it came to being delivered from the Assyrians and the Assyrian king, Sennacherib. Now, Hezekiah was the king of Judah, and he was a good one. He was the best one. Now, the Bible says that even though he was a good king, a righteous king, and had seen incredible answers to prayer where God fought for him and he held his peace, 
God fought for him. And God sent angels in answer to his prayers. Angels that defeated his enemies. Yet even so, one day, Hezekiah became sick. And the Bible says the sickness was so bad that he was near death. Now, we don't know what it was. Uh, From what I've been able to figure out, it was probably something as a result of leprosy. There was a boil. There was an infection. And this infection was killing him. Now, the Bible goes on to say that Isaiah the prophet himself visited King Hezekiah. Now, when Isaiah the prophet comes in to visit you, and brings you the word of the Lord and says, you better get your house in order. You're a dead man. That is not good news. We're talking about Isaiah the prophet. Uh, We're talking about a serious major prophet. Walks in and says, get your house in order. You're a dead man. And he began to do it. And yet, something inside of him said, this can't be the end. What Isaiah told him, was really problematic, particularly bad. And I'm going to tell you three reasons why him being told he was dying was particularly bad. Number one, he was only 39 years old. He was in the prime of his life. And the prophet says, you're a dead man. Second reason, he had no son, no heir to the throne. He had no son to take his place and to be a king in those days and have no heir, no no son to take your place was really bad. The third reason, he had lots of unfinished business, lots of dreams, lots of vision, things he wanted to do in his life, things he wanted to accomplish. And when Isaiah said this to him, you're a dead man, get your house in order and move quickly, he immediately began to think, my dreams, my vision, my goals, my accomplishments, I'm not going to be able to do them. Hezekiah being taken out now meant that he was going out in the prime of his life. It would have cut his legacy short, and it would have short-circuited his dreams. This was a major, major, major blow to him. He was not in the end of his life where it made sense. He was right in the middle of everything he was about, and he became sick near unto death. And instead of giving up, I want you to notice something. Instead of just throwing in the towel and saying, oh, well, you know, God's God, nothing I can do. The very prophet of God has told me that I'm dying. It says that Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall and he began to pray unto God in tears that were bitter. And he began to tell God what you and I would probably tell God. He said, God, I have followed you. I've obeyed you. I've honored you. I've lived for you with a loyal and a true heart. Where are you in my life when I need you? Now, how can you let this happen to me as a 39-year-old king? I haven't finished my job, haven't finished my goals. I have not completed what you gave me to do. Lord, I'm asking you, have mercy on me. I've been good. And him telling God that was absolutely true. He had been a good king. The Bible says... That Hezekiah trusted in God so that after him there was not another king like him. And the Bible says there had not been a king like him before him reigning over Judah. He was the best 
that had come down the pike and the best there would be over Judah. And he took all of this to God in spite of what the prophet said, in spite of what the circumstances said, in spite of what it looked like. He did not hold up the white flag and give up. He did not say, I surrender. He did not give in. He believed that God was a prayer answering God. Now, I want to tell you something today, church. There is something happening in the body of Christ. There is a polarization taking place, and I see it as clear as anything. There are those who are moving on in faith, moving on in God, truly and honestly seeking God, truly and honestly wanting to serve Him. They love Him. They're willing to lay down their lives, willing to sacrifice for Him. There is no cost too great. They truly love Jesus. And on the other hand, there is a great falling away. There is a walking away. I would call it sort of a crawling away. And it is people leaving the walk of faith, not praying like they used to, not walking like they used to, not believing like they used to, not in church like they used to be. There is a, there is a, a, I'll go ahead and say it. It looks to me like there is an apostasy going on in the West. I can't speak for the East. I'm not there, but I'm here and I know what I see. And there is a polarization taking place. Even Jesus himself said, when I return to, to, to the earth, will I find faith? I don't know about you, but I'm going to go on with Jesus. I don't know about you. But I'm going to love him. I know in whom I have believed. And that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. I know whom I have believed. And here's one thing I know about God. He is a prayer-answering, devil-stomping, curse-erasing God. Here's Hezekiah. Man, he's sick. He's so sick he's about to die. And instead of Isaiah coming in and giving him faith and hope, he tells him, yep, what you've been worrying about and fearing, it's true. You're about to die. So he turns and he prays. He turns towards the wall and he weeps bitterly. Now here goes Isaiah. Isaiah walks out of the room. He's delivered the word of the Lord because he said, here's what the Lord says. So he's delivered the word of the Lord. He's walking out. He was in the inner court the inner parts of the palace, visiting Hezekiah. And here he is. He's walked out the door. Before he even gets to the outer courts, God speaks to him and says, turn around, go back. He doesn't know that Hezekiah has been there praying, God, please don't do this. Please spare me. Please have mercy on me. Please show your compassion. Don't let me die in my prime. Don't let me be short-circuited in my mission. Have mercy, Lord. And the very prophet that had given him the word of the Lord just minutes before is stopped by the Holy Ghost on his way out of the palace. And God said, you go back and you give him four I wills. Four I wills. Now this moves me because I know that things happen so often in the physical arena because something has happened in the spiritual arena. See, what is real is what you and I can't see. That's what's real. The spirit world, angels, cherubim, seraphim, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, the moving of the Holy Spirit. All of that happens in the spiritual arena. And here is Hezekiah praying and the Holy Ghost stops the prophet of God, 
not 15 minutes after he's given him a death sentence and says, I want you to go back. Here's what you tell him. I will heal you. I will heal you. And then he says, not only that, I'm going to give you 15 years to your life. I will defend and deliver your city. And just in case you don't think I'm going to heal you or defend you or give you 15 more years, I will make the sundial, the shadow on the sundial, go either forward or backward. You tell me which one you want. Now, it was evening time. So Hezekiah goes, well, uh, you know, uh, if it goes forward, it's just going to look like it got dark kind of fast. But boy, if that shadow goes backwards, like if it's right now, it's 1125, if it went backwards to 6 o'clock in the morning again, if it goes backwards, then I know I'm a healed man. If it goes backward, then I know I've got 15 more years. I know this city is going to be defended by God if it goes backwards. And the Bible says God did exactly that, that as Hezekiah watched, the shadow on the sundial began to crawl backwards as if time were reversing itself and his sickness was healed. He stood up a healed whole man with a new lease on life. And having seen an unprecedented miracle that God did because somebody dared to believe God answers prayer. Now, you're wondering about this sundial thing. Well, I can tell you the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31, you can read about it. It says the sign that God did was seen not only by Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, but it was seen by pagan people because the Assyrians sent a mission of men to Jerusalem to, quote, inquire about the wonder that was done in the land because all of a sudden the sun went backwards. Say, how did God do that? I don't know. Haven't asked him lately. I just know that he did. You see, our God created law. He created natural law. It's no hard thing for God to reverse it, to defy it. Jesus walked on the water and defied gravity. Jesus showed us by speaking to the winds and the waves that the elements and weather were subject to him. One day Joshua looked up and commanded the sun to stand still, and it did for a day. In the name of the Lord... How much does God love you enough to make the sun go backwards on the sundial? How much does God love you enough to stop the sun and stop the earth for a day for you to win a battle? How much does God love you? God so loved you, he gave his only begotten son. That's a greater sign. Amen. That's a greater sign than the sundial going back. That's a greater sign than the whole planet being stopped for a man to win a battle. That's a greater sign. God so loved you, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I'm going to say it again today. Muhammad didn't die for your sins. Buddha didn't die for your sins. Zoroaster didn't die for your sins. Confucius didn't die for your sins. Jesus died for your sins. And there is not another name given among men 
whereby we must be saved. There's not a hundred ways to God. There's one way to God. You can't go to God your own way and find him. It is impossible. You've got to go the way that God laid out for us. He made a highway of holiness. He gave us the narrow road that leads to life. And that narrow road is none other than his only begotten son. Only he can forgive you. Only he can wash your sin away. Only he can put in you the power of the Holy Spirit so you can live this life that we've been called to. Only he can redeem your soul from destruction. Only he can catch you up. And uh, where we meet him together in the clouds... And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's going to be Jesus who stands at the end of history. Don't believe the hogwash out there today. That you can get there any old way. I know in whom I have believed. And his name is Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the soon coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And there is none other. And so you know what happened? God changed his mind. God changed his mind. Get your house in order, you're going to die. Oh, God, please, no, please, no, please, no. Remember me. Remember me, God. I've lived for you. I've honored you. Please don't let... And God changed his mind and answered a prayer. I want that to sink into you today. I have a favorite prayer verse. As a matter of fact, in my study at home, there's a, there's a plaque right above... Uh, where I type, where I write books, my computer, the whole bit, there's a, there's a plaque right above it, and it's got that old man kneeling at a chair praying, and the verse underneath it is my favorite prayer verse. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, releasing great power, releasing great power, releasing great power. I said releasing great power. Dynamic in its working. That's what the Amplified Bible says. The effectual, fervent, heartfelt, sincere prayer of a righteous person releases great power. Dynamic in its working. The prayer, the power that prayer releases is greater than the power of a tornado or a hurricane. It's greater than the power of the oceans. It's greater than any nuclear blast. I'm talking to us today about prayer. Here is a man with a death sentence from God. And he says, I believe that somewhere in the heart of God there is mercy. Somewhere in the heart of God there is compassion. Somewhere in the heart of God, even though it looks like it's over, it's not over until God has had his say. And I'm not afraid to lay hold of God. Who knows but what he'll heal me. Now I guarantee you and testify to you today that if Hezekiah had not prayed, Hezekiah would have died. Just like God said. But he said, I believe that the effectual, fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man releases great power, dynamic in its working. 
And God turned around and gave him four I wills. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to make the sundial go back just to show you I mean what I say. Now, one more short Bible story, and then I'm going to apply this to you and me. When Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God, the Bible says while he was up there, the children of Israel began to move in unbelief, and they went into terrible sin. The Bible says that they gathered all the gold from all their jewelry, they melted it down, and they created a golden calf. And out of that golden calf, they began to bow down and worship to it. And after they had bowed down and worshiped to it, the Bible tells us that they went into a massive orgy. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that 27,000 of them fell in one day into sexual sin. Here's Moses, their leader, receiving the revelation of his life on top of the mountain when he came down. His face was glowing with the glory of God where they had to put a veil over it. He was lit up like a Christmas bulb. He glowed in the dark with the Shekinah light of God. And the Bible says that they couldn't even look him in the face. And so they put a veil over his face. But when Moses came down, you remember seeing the movie, The Ten Commandments. He's got the tablets in his hand. And when he saw their sin, their sexual sin and their idolatry, he hurled the stones. I don't know if that's real. That was Cecil B. DeMille, but it looked good. Cecil beat him ill and it looked good. And he hurled those stone tablets down and they shattered. And the Bible says that God spoke to Moses and said to Moses, get out of my way that I might consume them, every one of them. And I will start over with you and I will make you a great nation. And the Bible says that instead of just getting out of the way, and letting the wrath of God fall, that Moses, quote, pleaded with God, appealing to his mercy, and he said this to him, turn from your fierce wrath, O God, and relent from the harm that you're going to do to your people. Now, God had already said, get out of my way. They are toast. And Moses said, wait a minute. God, please don't do this. Remember your name in the earth. Remember, they are your testimony. Don't do this, O God. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, the Lord changed his mind. The Lord changed his mind from the harm he was going to do to his people. For a second time in the Bible, we're told that God changed his mind in answer to prayer. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, why are you talking about God changing his mind? Because I want you to understand today that God is calling us to the prayer closet. God is calling us to pray. There are things that will happen if we don't pray, and there are things that will happen if we do pray. We need to be in prayer. I'm wanting you to see the power of one praying person to literally change God's mind. Now, let me just share with you a couple of nuggets on prayer in light of what we've just shared. First one. We do not live in a world where God is going to do what he wants, whether we pray or not. I'm going to say it again. We do not live in a world where God is going to do whatever he wants, whether we pray or not. God is not going to do whatever he wants, no matter what we pray. Now, I'm going to give you 
the balance to this. Are you ready? There is indeed an aspect of God's will that is going to be done no matter what. There are things determined in the will of God that are going to be done no matter if we pray or not. Jesus is going to come again. That is determined in the will of God. The great white throne judgment of all mankind and all sin is going to happen whether we pray or not. This world is winding down and will one day be totally renovated by God whether we pray or not. The devil is going to be judged whether we pray or not. There are things in the determined will of God that, no, it's true, we can't change it. But there is another aspect of God's will and God's actions that wait for somebody to pray. Now catch this today. There is another aspect to the will of God. It is, whosoever will, let him come. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now let me give you an illustration. In my house, I'm the spiritual head of the house. I'm supposed to be. And you men, I pray that you're the spiritual heads of your house. I have a purpose and a will for my home. I've got a purpose and a will. I have certain things I have determined for my household that not anything is going to change. Here's what they are. Here's a few. We're going to serve Jesus and nothing's going to change that. We're going to serve Jesus. We're going to pay our bills and nothing's going to change that. We're going to honor God and fulfill his call on us. And nothing is going to change that. And I can tell you, if my children came to me and said, Father, I ask you, do not pay your bills. I would say, can't do it. That's against my character. If they came and said, we ask you to not serve Jesus anymore. I would say, you know what? I love you, but I can't do that. Because my allegiance is totally and ultimately and finally and only to him. And everything else flows under that, so I can't change that. You can ask me till the cows come home, and I'm never going to change that. These are unalterable purposes that I have for my household that nothing is going to change. But watch this. Within that unalterable purpose and the unalterable direction of our home, there are many things that can be changed if you come and you ask me. Now, I want my son to get up and leave now because I don't want him to be encouraged at all. (laughs) Because, see, they have power if they ask me for something. But I know this, that within my purpose for my home, following Jesus, paying our bills, living an honorable life, seeking God, that's never going to change. But within that, there are many things that can be changed, things that can be obtained By simply asking me, I won't change where we live unless God moves me. But if you come to me, I will allow and I will even help you to change the way your room looks, to change the landscaping, to change the way the house is painted, to go on vacations for money. (laughs) Yeah, say what? I'm saying it once and I want it edited out of the tape. You can come to me within the framework of what is not changeable. And within that framework, there are many things that wait for the request. Are y'all with me now? There are many things that wait for the request. And if you don't ask, you won't get. 
If you don't ask, you won't receive. James said, you have not from God because you ask not from God. Because so many of us go, well, you know, he's up there. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's God. Well, that's true. Jesus is coming back. The world is going to end. There will be a judgment. But within the unalterable things of God, there is a whole volume, a world, a universe of things waiting for somebody to pray. God's will for Judah was set in stone. But to give Hezekiah 15 more years to heal his body was well within the asking range of God. And so even though God wasn't going to change his will for Judah, he had mercy on Hezekiah and healed him and gave him 15 more years and moved the sundial back. Say with me, you have not because you ask not. So within God's unalterable will, there are many, many areas of possibility and potential waiting for somebody to pray. And God will do it. There are things that you will have or will not have because you prayed or didn't pray. There are things you will experience or not experience because you prayed or did not pray. How many of you know that's true? Now, the second nugget that I see from this and the last one, God challenges us to pray against the odds. These stories encourage me to pray against the odds. Now, let me tell you what I don't mean by that. I don't mean to pray against God's word or to pray against God's character because he will not answer just like I would not answer if I was asked to do something against my character or against the word of God. But within the framework of who scripture reveals God is, a God of justice, a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of righteousness, a God of power, within the framework of who God is, We can pray for the impossible and the improbable and the unlikely and see those things happen. Man, I think I'm preaching to people of faith here today. I want to encourage you to believe for the fantastic. Believe for the impossible. Believe for the improbable. Believe for the unlikely. I want to encourage you to pray no matter what the doomsaying predictions of all of the scoffers might be. Because every time you decide to go for God, you're going to have somebody around you going, well, you better keep it. That's not going to do you any good. God's not going to hear you. He doesn't do that kind of thing. Why don't you come back down to earth and get religion and get off of this faddish Christianity that doesn't really function. And I want to tell you something. Jesus is waiting for prayers to ascend to heaven that ask him to do something that no human could do. And when they're done, no human can take credit because it's going to be obvious that no human could have done it. I mean, if Isaiah comes in and says, you're dying... Thus says the Lord, and you turn to the wall and say, Lord, I know what I just heard, and I know the way that I feel, and I know the way that it looks, and it's bleak. But, Lord, I'm going to reach deep into the pockets of your mercy. I'm going to reach deep into the pockets of your grace. I'm going to go ahead and risk praying that you will do the impossible, that you will even change your mind, that you will do something that brings glory to God and 
manifest that you're a merciful, compassionate, prayer-answering, miracle-working, powerful God. Sometimes you've got to believe that God's going to bring rain out of a clear blue sky. <laughs> Elijah did. Elijah did. Seven times he got a report the sky was blue and there wasn't anything that looked like rain. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not moving in the physical. I'm not dealing with material things. I'm dealing with God. And so even though there's nothing in the clear blue sky, yet I know in my spirit I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. But master, you've been in the sun too long. There's nothing up there. Doesn't matter to me. I don't care what I see or do not see. I know what thus says the Lord in my spirit. And I know that when I get hold of God, what is not yet manifested in the material realm will manifest by the word of God. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And within hours, it was raining so hard, you couldn't take a chariot through the deep mud. God mud. Pretty mud. Amen. Listen to this. By faith and by believing against the odds... People overthrew kingdoms, Hebrews tells us. Overthrew kingdoms. Ruled with justice. Received what God had promised them. When they prayed against the odds, it says they shut the mouths of lions. Angels shut lions' mouths. Shut them so they were not devoured. Angels were standing in the room with Daniel. Shut the lions' mouths. He prayed against the odds because the odds were the starving lions would consume him in minutes. But all night long, the angel of God was in the room and he prayed against the odds. It says, those who prayed against the odds quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness, I like this one, their weakness was turned to strength. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I said, they will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles and soar. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint. Even your young men shall grow weary and utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord have a supernatural source. There is a pipeline from God to your soul. And he gives energy to you that is not natural. He gives energy to you that is not normal. He gives energy to you that you can't come up with. It is the power of the Holy Ghost, the resurrection of God. Man, I'll tell you what. I'm going to preach a little bit today. See, they already counted you out. What are you doing here today? They told you you were down for the count, but here you are today praising God with a skip in your step, a gleam in your eye, a smile on your face, but they already tried to bury you. What are you doing here? It's not by might and it's not by power, 
but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. You got to forgive me if I get a little bit excited here, but I'm going to tell you, I know, I know, I know in whom I have believed. The good thing about Jesus is you don't have to snort it, you don't have to smoke it, you don't have to shoot it, you don't have to drink it. It's the Holy Ghost in fire, and it's keeping me alive. This is something we ought to be able to go out and tell people about. The Bible says they became strong in battle. They put whole armies to flight. Women even received their loved ones back from the dead when they believed and prayed against the odds. What odds are you looking at today? Listen to the preacher today. I'm telling you, I know the Holy Spirit moved on me about this, and I want to encourage you in God. We are not following an idea. We're not following a first-century philosopher. We are not following a religion. Jesus never came to establish a religion. We're following a person who appeared in history and said things no one ever said before. If you believe in me, you will never die. If you believe in me, I'll raise you from the dead. I'm going to heaven and I'm going to take you there with me someday. I can forgive your sins. We following somebody who said things that Nietzsche didn't say, who said things that Voltaire didn't say, who said things that Socrates never said, that Confucius never said, that Buddha never said. He gave an answer. He spoke with authority like no man has ever spoken. And he is the one who will stand at the end of history and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. See, that's what I want to tell you today. Don't let anybody write the epitaph over your grave or preside over your funeral when you're not dead yet. Because they'll say, there they go. They'll never be back. But they didn't count on the resurrection power of the Holy Ghost. Hezekiah did not let even Isaiah read his obituary. Turn a deaf ear to the naysayers and the critics and care only about what God says to you. Hezekiah believed that prayer would give him a new lease on life, though all circumstances said otherwise. Moses believed that prayer could change God's mind, even though all circumstances and God himself had said otherwise. They believed that God could be prevailed upon by somebody standing in front of him in prayer. That's what they believed. I, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of accounts that fly around of different people having different visions and dreams and this and that. And to me, most of them are disposable. But I read one that Scripture bore out. A woman died. And she was brought back to life by medical means. But while she was dead, she had a vision. And she walked into the throne room of God. She said, I knew I was going into the throne room of God. 
I just knew that's where it was. It was indescribable. Things I heard and saw, I could never describe verbally, efficiently, sufficiently. But she said one thing I became very aware of as I walked through this throne room and there was singing and there was worship and there was glory. She said, I heard echoes of voices of people. So I wondered what it was. And then being in heaven, I knew what it was. It was the prayers of God's people, women, men, children, asking God for things. And she said their voices bounced around in this room like they were echoing in a cave. Everyone could be crystal clear heard. And he was hearing every one of them. The Bible says that God takes your prayers and they're being saved in a vial. They are precious to God. And what God wants us to know from these stories is that when you go to God in prayer, just you, just little old you with faith of a mustard seed, God hears you. Not only does he hear you, it has incredible power with God. The effectual, fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous person avails much, releasing great power, dynamic in the way that it manifests itself in time and space. God hears your prayers. You say, well, I, I don't see it. doesn't matter if you see anything or not. God hears your prayers. And I'm going to say it. Your prayers can, not a guarantee, but can change God's mind. So Hezekiah said, bad report, bad circumstances, but I'm still going to pray. Moses said, bad report, terrible circumstances, but I'm still going to venture to pray. God changed his mind. Twice. Can you say with me as we stand together? Say with me the effectual, fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous person. Turn to your neighbor and say, that be you. By the blood of Jesus. Avails much. Releasing great power. Dynamic in its working. Think about that one prayer of Moses saved a million people. A million people would have been smoke in a very short time if he hadn't prayed. (laughs) Oh, my. What do you want God to do with America? Doesn't it look kind of hopeless to you? And yet, can God change his mind? What about something in your life that looks hopeless? And you want to say, well, you know what? I put up the white flag. I'm not even going to fight it. That's not the spirit of Hezekiah. It's not the spirit of Moses. It's not the spirit of Jesus. God could change his mind. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the reality of scripture and these incredible testimonies on people who prayed against the odds. And the odds did not prevail, but God did. Now, Lord, there is faith in this room. There's faith in every heart. 
And who knows what will happen, Lord, this week if your people come into your presence boldly and say, God, I'm asking you against all odds, do a miracle. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, that's the kind of prayer that I need to pray. I've got incredible odds. I'll be praying against the odds. But I receive this word, and I'm going to pray to God. Let me see your hand. Many, many of you, almost half of you, let you keep your hand up. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you. Lord, we see your word. The word will not return to us void. We see your word. It does what it's sent forth to accomplish. We see your word, Lord, and we mix your word with faith. We've heard your word and we mix it with faith. We've heard your word and we mix it with faith against the odds. We ask you, Lord, to hear us for the sake of Jesus. Now we're going to worship for a moment. And I want you to take a private moment with God right where you are and say, Lord, I give to you the odds. I give to you the impossibilities, the improbabilities.